trusted voice of truth and light. God gave me a gift. I shovel well. I shovel very well. And a rally point for those who've accepted the reality that they are not sheep. We've got a blind date with destiny. And it looks like she's ordered the lobster. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Well, hello there and welcome to the show. You know, I used to dabble in wrong think just as kind of a hobby. It was fun. You know, it was different. A little something to break the monotony. Not any longer. It's it's a daily matter of survival. And I don't I don't just mean physical survival. I mean mentally. If I'm going to survive, I got to be able to have wrong think. And I'm always grateful for my friend Eric Peters, who stops by for a weekly wrong think session. Eric, how are you today? I'm good. And wrong think is unavoidable when when everything is wrong with the world. You know, there's there's so much going on, and, and there's so much deception. And I, I know that people have, well, you know, news news media have always spun things one way or another. But, I mean, focused, um, dis, in, intentional deception, that's the part that blows me away, along with, as I'm sure you heard, uh, the FCC now is floating this idea that, hey, maybe we should be the ones to root out discrimination online. Yeah, isn't it great? What do you, and, what do you suppose that's headed for? It's not just the deception, it's the belligerence of the propaganda. You know, you're essentially being lectured now. It's not enough that, as in the past, they kind of tried to steer you along a certain train of thought. Now, it's if you don't think exactly the way they tell you, then obviously you're a reprobate and some kind of a cretin on top of everything else. And should be canceled. And should be, if not put into a camp, right? Right. It's. I mean, it's... I, we live in a very interesting time. You've got to have your wits about you. You've got to choose to think carefully about the things that are going on. And even then, you know, you still have to pay attention. Emotions run high. Um, I, I notice you have, uh, at least in your in your columns and in your, your publications online, I notice you haven't been sucked into the tar baby of uh, Palestine and Israel. Um, oh. Talk about a flashpoint. And, and I mean this, I'm, I'm not trying to you know stir anything up here, but talk about a way to get people's emotions engaged to where there's, there's almost no rational thought. Uh, well, you know, this idea that we have to stand, that's the, you know, the new term right. du jour, isn't it? Right. With whatever side we're instructed is the right side to stand with. <laughs> and if you don't stand with that side, uh, then in the case of what's going on right now, you're obviously anti-Semitic. You know, that's the new trope. You're not allowed to uh, to have nuance to question any aspect of anything that the Israeli government does, because to question the Israeli government is somehow anti-Semitic. Yeah. Well, it's it's the same conflation that we've seen here in, in America, where government is everything. That is America. And now in this case, you know, <laughs> hey, that's God's people you're talking about. Well, no, we're talking about their, yeah, gov- their government course. policies. <laughs> you're right. Exactly. It's not God's people. It's the government. You know, I, I think, who put, I, I, was it you or was it somebody said, I wish I could remember who said this. You know, I, I'm basically, my, my position is I, I'm opposed to, uh, to mass murder. I'm opposed to doing violence to innocent people, whoever does it. You know, that's where I stand. Beautifully said, too. And, and you know, I understand there's, there's you know, generations of history there. There's hatred that goes back thousands of years and whatnot. That's fine. But the, the insistence, to me, as alarming and as, as destructive as all the, the death and suffering may be, it's very alarming to see the populace led along by the nose, and they don't even seem to recognize their their emotions are being no. milked. No, there's a. Do you remember the the story about the? I'm going to I'm going to mutilate this. I could never pronounce it correctly, but I think it's Albigensian Crusade against the Cathars by 
and I can't remember which pope it was, but they had uh, they had uh, cornered some Cathars in a city, and I can't remember which city it was. And uh, one of the uh, the generals went up to the papal legate and said, "Well, we can't go in there because it's you know there's women and children and there's civilians in there." And the the papal legate said something to the effect of, "Kill them all. God will know His own." That's the <laughs> attitude Americans seem to have now. Yeah. Yep. And and it's it's scary because it means that uh, on the on the on any whim, the American public can be manipulated into supporting, um, you know, a lot of injustice against people. Take, for instance, January 6th. OK, we got the, the videos released, the remaining videos released. Well, what an interesting story those videos seem to be telling. Yep. Yeah, it's it's remarkable how the organs, the, the, the media will uh, cast it, whatever the, whatever it is, whether it's January 6th, whether it's people who don't stand with Israel or Ukraine, uh, as horrible, hideous, awful people. And that sort of opens the gate, the sluice gates of hate, and it becomes permissible uh, to demonize these people and to hound them and to, uh, to advocate for all sorts of awful things to be done to them. You know, no thinking allowed, no, well, wait a minute, what exactly are we talking about here? And which particular people are the bad people? And what did they do exactly that makes them bad? We're not allowed to have that sort of critical thinking anymore. Yeah, and I, I want to talk about this in practical terms, but um, let me start by asking you, Eric, when, when it comes to keeping yourself from being manipulated into, you know, becoming just part of a cheering mass, you know, chanting in unison, what are some of the things you take into consideration when someone is telling you, hey, 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 Eric, see them? You should be angry and you should hate them. Well, first of all, wait a minute. I want to assess the facts for myself. Uh, I'm not going to be bum-rushed into standing with anything before I examine the facts of the matter and find out what's going on and make a determination accordingly. And that's our obligation, each of us, as, a, as, a, as a, an adult, intelligent, operational human being, here, to here. weigh the facts and to determine whether the facts are, in fact, the facts, whether there's truth behind it, before coming to a decision. You know, you don't uh, – if, if somebody comes to you and says that a friend of yours is a bad person, you don't go, my friend is a bad person out with him, off with his head. You, you know, you look into it and find out, well, is, you know, I heard somebody say something about your, you know, about you. Is this true? You, you check it out to find out what the truth is. And then you act. You don't just act because somebody tells you to act. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and especially when someone or some story is playing on your emotions. And this is, I, this is a hard thing to develop, but it can be done. If I can do it, anybody can do it. You have to learn to recognize when your emotions are being tripped. When something, when something clicks and you go, oh, okay, why did that happen? If you just take a breath and, and analyze for a second, okay, was it the words in the headline that, you know, that gave me this visceral reaction? But instead of just reacting without thinking about it, question it and then question your own mm-hmm. motives. Am I being guided? Or am I being steered in a particular direction? Yep. There's, a, there's an old country saying that goes like this. Uh, let's you and him fight. <laughs> yep. <laughs> You know, think about it and, 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 and ask yourself who benefits. You know, somebody is trying to alarm you to either make you angry or to make you scared. I think it's a very sound thing to ask, well, what is the, uh, the benefit to the person who's telling me to be alarmed or angry? Uh, what would they have to gain by that? Uh, and, and, and just consider that before you, you know, let yourself be bum-rushed bum along with the rest of the cattle and just do what these people tell you to do. Oh, I think that's very sound advice. And, and look, I say that with the understanding of even as we're talking about this kind of stuff, to some people, the very subject we're discussing, Eric, is going to be scary and divisive. And, sure. you know, they're going to think we're fear mongering. And, and so 
let me put it out here. Why do we talk about this? Why do we share this with people? Is, is Are we just trying to, to make people afraid, or is there another purpose behind what we're doing? Now, we're trying to make people think. You know, we have a culture now that has been probably for at least the last half century, if not longer, conditioned to passivity, conditioned to being uh, just sitting there and waiting to be told what to do by authority and being afraid to exercise that noodle in your head and to think and to evaluate the facts and make your own independent decision. And if that decision is is, uh, contrary to what the authority tells you, then defy the authority, question the authority. But, you know, people have been brought up in this system in which their job is to lower, lower their heads, avert their gaze, receive the wisdom, and do what they're told. Hear, hear. And, and uh, you know, the day that you learn to start trusting yourself is, is the day that you really start to live because you're, you're no longer dependent on somebody else to either give you permission to be happy or to pursue happiness in whatever way you're going to or to, uh, to simply, you know, improve yourself. You, you don't need somebody's permission. And that's, that's a hard thing for people to grasp because we're raised starting at about, what, age five? Well, if you need something, raise your hand and somebody in authority will tell you when it's okay to stand up, when to go to the bathroom. I mean, for crying out loud, we've been, you and I have been in meetings as adults and seen adults in meetings raise their hand when they needed to go use the restroom. Yeah, it's very sad. And it's also why so many people are afraid. They have never learned to master themselves and to be confident in themselves and to say, you know what? I've got to pee. I'm getting up and going to the bathroom. I don't need to ask somebody's permission to do that. Uh, you know, they, that's that's the key, I think, to all of this is empowerment. And once people feel empowered, as opposed to being afraid, not only will they not be afraid, but others won't be afraid. You know, this is the kind of self-reinforcing feedback loop. Everybody's afraid. They don't want to stand out. They don't want to be the one who's not wearing the mask. Right. 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 Well, and, and you know, may, maybe I have to allow for the idea that I may be overthinking things a little bit. But to me, it seems really clear. You can either you can either live as a responsible adult, or you can be treated as a child. There are lots of folks who treat mm-hmm. you like a child if you let them. Don't yeah. don't yeah, let them. And once you and once you don't let them, it's actually pretty easy. You know, you, it, it's it's not that hard for the most part to exercise judgment. And you realize, you know, the world really isn't that scary a place. I can make that right turn on red. I didn't die. I didn't kill anybody. Look, wow, look at that. You know, I might actually be able to exercise judgment in other areas too. Let's come back to that in a moment because I just had a very valuable object lesson with one of my kids mm-hmm. who is who is a new driver. And uh, I'd like to talk about that uh, traffic light obedience. Okay. All right, we'll continue our conversation with Eric Peters, just the other side of these messages. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. All right, welcome back to the show. Eric Peters from ericpetersautos.com is my guest. You will find a link in the show notes at thebrianhydeshow.com. All right, Eric, I want to share this with you because this is this is a case of... Uh, Something I learned from you, but I'm now passing it on to my kids. My, my youngest is in the process of getting her driver's license. Just passed the written test, has to go do the skills test. And so we're, we're getting out there and getting her experience on the road. And there's, there's a particular stoplight at an intersection of a couple of highways that sometimes, let's just say, it'll just keep you there no matter what. The sensors don't change. And so we had the conversation about how it's okay to use your own judgment. And, and, you know, 
even even at her age, there's still there's a lot of programming that you have to sort through. Of, but oh yeah, but but the light says this, and I'm like, okay, but I'm you know understand. I'm not saying ignore the light, and I'm, I'm not saying ignore people's safety. I'm saying if you've come to a complete stop, and you've ascertained, and waited, and seen that the way is clear, go. Just just yeah. go like a normal human being. And but what if a cop sees it? I'm like, you know, there is that chance. And frankly, I've I've told her I I would explain myself to a cop. I take the ticket if necessary, but I'm not going to sit there like a dog waiting for my owner to, <laughs> you know, to blow a whistle. And, okay, <laughs> yeah. now, go get it, boy. Well, you know, the irony here is they present this mindless rule following as being safe, but in my opinion, it's exactly the opposite of that. Because using your brain, using your eyes, using your judgment, evaluating each particular circumstance—that's safe. You look to see whether the way is clear as opposed to waiting for the light to turn green. A lot of people have been hit because, oh, the light turned green, so I, I go, go, oh, yeah. instead of looking to see whether it's safe to go. You know, the same applies in reverse. It's not just the red light. It's the green light, too. So, you know, by teaching your daughter to use her brain, use her eyes, and respond accordingly as opposed to being a mindless animal that just, oh, Pavlovian condition. The light is red. I stop. I don't move until the light turns green. She's going to be a safer and better driver. And, you know, I, I got to look around and make sure her brother's not within earshot. She is a safer and better driver than her older brother. He's three mm-hmm. years, he's three years older than her. Um, but, but she's a better driver because she keeps her head in the game. And this is something else that I learned from Eric yeah. Peters and from reading you over the years. The, the unsafe drivers are the ones out there with their mind anywhere, but on what they're doing behind the wheel. Sure. And here's another example I think that's apt and relevant. Uh, you know, back in the day when you and I learned to drive, we typically learned to drive on a stick shift car. And you remember the horror the first time you had to deal with a hill in a <laughs> stick shift car. Oh, yeah. Right? Oh, yeah. And, you know, yeah, that's a little alarming because it does take a little bit of skill to learn how to, you know, get the car going without rolling backward. But now what they've done is to not only eliminate the manual transmission, but even in cars that still have them, they've got their heel holder crutch, you yeah. know, so that it, <laughs> the car won't roll backwards so that the driver never really learns that skill. And as a result, they're the poorer for it. Once you have mastered a skill, you have notched up your competence. And you know, you've notched up your competence, and that makes you feel more confident because you are. And that sort of thing just scales as opposed to what they want, which is to keep everybody feeling unsafe, insecure, incompetent, because such people are much easier to condition into just, just do what the light says, do what the sign says, do what you're told. Yep. Yep. We need people who are capable of thinking for themselves and willing to do it without, you know, seeking permission. Now, you actually have had a couple articles I want to touch on here. One is uh, was just published today, I think, What We Can Expect Next. Yeah. And then uh, I also wanted to touch base on uh, the last V6 standing. In fact, let's start with that. Yeah. That's kind of a quick one. Well, they're getting rid of V8s, not, not V6s, too. Yeah, the V6 is now becoming what the V12 once was, i.e. a luxury item for the handful of people who can afford a very expensive car. Wow. Whereas as recently as five or six years ago, V6s were common in in modestly priced cars like the Toyota Camry. The Toyota Camry is currently the last family sedan you can buy that still offers a V6, but not for much longer. Uh, Toyota has announced that for the next model year, uh, which is going to be a few months from now, uh, it will only be available with a four-cylinder hybrid drivetrain. No more V6 and not even the standard four-cylinder. You have to get a four-cylinder hybrid, and you got to pay several thousand dollars more for the privilege, by the way. And the reason for this isn't because customers are demanding a more expensive hybrid drivetrain. It's because it's the only way Toyota can comply with the latest federal FATWA 
that requires, beginning in 2026, that all cars average nearly 50 miles per gallon. And there's simply no way to do that with uh, a four-cylinder engine by itself, let alone a V6. So now you're getting to pay for the four-cylinder with the hybrid, and they tell you, oh, we're going to save you lots of money on gas. They don't tell you you're going to be spending $5,000 more for the car. Wow. Okay. So where is this headed? Where is this taking us? There's got somebody's got to have some destination in mind of where all of this well-intentioned, you know, meddling is is going to lead. Well, first of all, it's not well-intentioned, and secondly, we know where it's headed because they've said so. And they, meaning uh, the people who uh, loosely uh, put our members of the WEF and all of its assorted tentacles of the octopus, mm-hmm. uh, want us, the majority of us, out of cars. Period. And this is the way they're doing it. Step by step, piece by piece, first they're pushing cars with engines off the market by making them essentially impossible for the manufacturers to build and sell. And then uh, people think, well, we'll just have electric cars. Well, first of all, most electric cars are beyond the means of most people. And even if they ever got them to the point where they were affordable, I guarantee you, they're going to find that all of a sudden these so-called zero emissions electric cars actually do have emissions too. And then they'll use the regulations to get them off the road. That's the purpose of all of this. They don't want you and me owning cars. They don't want you and me driving. Uh, they want to reduce us to a state uh, of, of ensurfment where we we are allowed to ride the bus or the train or we, we get on a bicycle or we walk where we're allowed to go. That's the end game here. Wow. And, and of course, you know, as, as you point out in your article, um, what we can expect next, the World Economic Forum, they're not shy about saying, yeah, we want to call for an end to private car ownership. Yeah, they think they've won, and so now they're open about what they have been machinating uh, for the past 40, 50 years. This goes way back, if you don't dig into it. Um, and what, what the article that you reference is all about uh, is right now they got a problem. Uh, EV sales are stalling, uh, as anybody who's familiar with the situation would have predicted, because it's obvious. Uh, they're probably never going to get more than about maybe 8, 9, 10% of the population into electric cars because, you know, that's the only part of the population that can afford to spend $50,000 on a car or wants a car that is tethered to a cord. So what are they going to do uh, when the majority of the population doesn't want an electric car? Well, they're going to try to force us out of cars that aren't electric. And by what means might they do that? Well, one of the means they might use is to make, make it as difficult and as time-consuming to put gas in a regular car as it is to put a charge in an electric car. They could winnow down the pumps so that you have to sit there for 20 minutes to get five gallons of gas. Easily done. Or they could just simply reduce the number of gas stations that are available, citing environmental issues. Or they could just jack up the cost of gas to 10 or $15 a gallon. It would accomplish the same thing. It would make the EV seem to be you know, not a bad alternative to the gas-powered car. That's what they're going to do. I don't want to go there. <laughs> yeah. So, so what are my options? I guess. You, well, you... first, it's really important to get uh, preemptive with this. You know, I think uh, opposition to the left has suffered from uh, reactivity for too long. We've let the left determine the agenda. The authoritarian left puts something out there and then uh, the milk toast right will say, well, we can't go that far, but we'll go this far. You know, they agree with the left uh, on, say, half of what the left wants. And so we progress. They love that. And that's why they call themselves progressives. So we progress down that road just a little bit farther, and we end up at the same place. Uh, the way to stop that is to just call a halt to it and call them out on their nonsense. Uh, you know, there are no, there is no longer a problem with the emissions of vehicles. The carbon dioxide thing is a, an overhyped, 
exaggerated uh, scam, just like the pandemic was. They overstayed things. They, they did this to scare people uh, in order to get them to accept things that would otherwise be unacceptable. It's the same thing here. People need to understand and get angry about the fact that these people want to push you out of a car. And it's not just your car. If you don't live in the city, what are you going to do? If you have, if you don't have a car, a personal car, you live in the suburbs, how are you going to get to work? How are you going to function? The it's answer your is mobility. you're not. It's your mobility. Right. Yep. I, I think you, you've got your finger on what's happening here, Eric. And, and again, but they wouldn't lie to us. Again, we, we, your Honor, could we see the evidence again, the January 6th videos? Okay. You know. Yeah. Eric, thanks again for uh, for this wrong think session. Always great to talk with you, and I always feel just a little more reassured. I know there are people who are getting it, and you're proof of that. <laughs> Likewise, Brian. Thank you very much. This is the Brian Hyde Show. This is the Brian Hyde Show. All right, welcome back to the show. Thanks again for joining us for this particular session of Wrong Think. You know, I feel like there's there's this balance that has to be uh, maintained in that uh, the, the world is changing in ways that I think most people, rational people, not, you know, paranoid people, would look at and say, ooh, things are getting complicated. And, and uh, I'm... I'm Using some pretty diplomatic language here just because, again, I don't want to incite more fear. I don't want to incite anger. But I also want to face the hard facts. And the hard facts are we've got some pretty challenging stuff straight ahead of us. Now, does that mean I know exactly what it is? No. I'm just, look, I'm looking at the the clouds on the horizon. I'm looking at the wind whistling past and what's in the wind. And I'm thinking, okay, economically, you know, monetarily, we are not in a good position geopolitically you know there's there's a lot of tension out there and you know there's there's other stuff too spiritually and this is probably the one that that uh, concerns me the the most deeply it seems like there's there is a growing darkness but i don't share that with you you know to remind you so therefore yeah i uh, hey, i know things look scary kind of they look scary right now friend but i just want you to know it's going to get a lot worse I'm not trying to I'm not trying to sensationalize this. I'm just saying we've got to be aware of what's going on and we've got to be absolutely rock solid on who we are and what we stand for. Otherwise, uh, we, we're going to have some problems. So a couple things I wanted to share with you uh, now that we're able to see for ourselves, now that the the video has been released concerning, you know, some of the January 6th footage that wasn't out there before. Can reasonable people agree that there are an awful lot of people sitting in jail for years, decades, some of them, over something that was was not what it was portrayed to the public to be? I'm sorry, the January 6th committee, this is harsh, but every, every single one of the people on that committee, every single one of those sitting Congress people needs to answer. They need to either be they need to be held accountable for the the misrepresentation of truth that they committed and and very likely criminally charged, perhaps separated from power permanently. Basically, they need to receive whatever they have been, you know, preparing for their supposed enemies. Otherwise, you know, our, our system is just hopelessly broken. 
I've got some uh, interesting commentary here from Ron Paul, who says, we must demand justice for the January 6th protesters. He says, new U.S. House Speaker Mike Johnson struck a blow for victory and justice last week when he finally authorized the release of all the tapes from the January 6, 2021, quote, insurrection. We were told by no less than President Biden himself that this was the worst attack on our democracy since the Civil War. The FBI was unleashed by the Biden administration to hunt down hundreds of participants in this so-called insurrection and lock them up in the gulag where they awaited trial in torturous conditions, many in solitary confinement. By the way, they're still rounding up people. They're still sending huge FBI task forces and SWAT teams out there to collect these people. But hey, nothing's wrong here, right? Go back to your football game. Everything's cool. So Ron Paul says, a congressional committee was set up under then-speaker Nancy Pelosi to get to the bottom of the Trump-led insurrection. It did not include a single representative nominated by the opposition Republican Party, but rather two, and this is in air quotes, Republicans, Liz Cheney and Adam Kissinger, who could be relied on by Pelosi and the Democrats to toe the line. In short, Ron Paul says the whole thing was an old-fashioned Soviet show trial where the evidence was kept secret and the predetermined verdict, guilty, was to be used to tighten the grip of the ruling regime and intimidate any further dissenters into silence. Now, the message was clear. Speak out against the perfection of the 2020 election. You may find yourself in the gulag along with the insurrectionists. Yeah, that's a, as Ron Paul says, that was a terrifying, profoundly un-American thing to see. And yet he says, as we can finally see for ourselves, thanks to Speaker Johnson, it was all a huge lie. The new video shows demonstrators shaking hands with police officers once they entered the Capitol building. They were welcomed into the building by officers who even held the doors for them to enter. They had no way of knowing they would soon be rounded up and locked away. And why should they, right? The police are the ones, you know, escorting them along and patting them on the back as they go by. Now, listen closely because Ron Paul says, does that mean that no crimes were committed on January 6th? No, not at all. The tapes already released were carefully chosen to single out examples of violence and other possible criminality. But the full release of the tapes demonstrates beyond a doubt that the endless propaganda that this was a coordinated attempt to overthrow the government was false. Now, the part about it being a coordinated attempt, and this is just my own aside on this, that part is not false. There was a coordinated attempt, and it appears that it was on the part of the ruling class that they would have multiple federal agents and infiltrators and informants and activists and and provocateurs within the crowd. Antifa was definitely there. Sorry, you know, John Sullivan. Or was it James? I can't remember. They're they're twin brothers, and I, I do confuse them from time to time. But Antifa... BLM dressed up like MAGA, you know, just there for for all the the fun. Yeah, he made some pretty good money on it, too, before he just, you know, caught a charge. By the way, there was a great uh, video that came out uh, that actually was released as part of these these videos. And it was one filmed by Mr. Sullivan himself as they were, Ashley Babbitt had been shot and uh, Mr. Sullivan and there was another activist. And I can't remember her name, but this is interesting because... He has finally been charged. He's been been arrested and charged 
with whatever parading. And by the way, I'm not I'm not cheering that. It's a BS charge on him as well. But this girl who was with him and hugging him in the Capitol and asked him, hey, wait, you're not recording, are you? Because he and she were both bragging about, yeah, this is the best film I've ever done. Oh, I'm going to make so much money on this and just, it's so good. Yeah. It was all planned. It was, it was you know, the, a lot of good people were led into a situation that they didn't quite understand. And sadly, it's it's costing a lot of them right now dearly in terms of, you know, legal jeopardy, in terms of, you know, their personal freedom. Anyway, back to Ron Paul's commentary on this. He says, the full release of the tape shows without a doubt that the, the idea, the propaganda this was a coordinated attempt was false. And as for that uh, violence and mayhem on January 6th, Ron Paul asks how much of it was instigated by undercover FBI agents. New footage clearly shows officers outside the building firing on protesters with no warning. Now, when they're firing rubber bullets, they're firing pepper balls, they're, they're firing less than lethal munitions, but that doesn't change the fact. They were firing on the crowd without warning and without cause. That must be why in hearing after hearing, Biden administration officials like Attorney General Merrick Garland have refused to tell Congress the number of federal agents present and their roles in instigating violence. So the release of all this evidence, he says, should immediately result in the release of all nonviolent protesters awaiting trial or serving their sentences. Those in power, responsible for the promoting of this lie, should take their places in the jail cells. Amen, bro. I absolutely agree. Now, this delayed justice isn't going to help some of the protesters, like Matthew Perna. Told you about him yesterday. This was the guy who was calmly walking inside the Capitol in the presence of unconcerned police officers. Then was rounded up by Merrick Garland's Department of Justice, who then got him to plead to a, a deal and said after he had said after he'd agreed to the plea deal that they would seek terrorism charges against him. So instead of a few months in jail, he was looking at years. Perna hanged himself in his garage. So Ron Paul says, look, yes, there was an insurrection of sorts. But this is what it looked like. Those in power hated Donald Trump so much that they were willing to torture and even murder their fellow Americans to keep him from the presidency. Unless these people are brought to justice, we will have no republic left to defend. That is the hardest truth you're going to hear today. They need to be brought to justice. Now, do you think they're going to go quietly? Yeah, probably not. I'm guessing they, they probably won't. But I still maintain that uh, he's got a point. And, and isn't it crazy that so much of, of what uh, is shown by the film that has been released, the videos that have been released, is that uh, the prosecution, in true U.S. federal government fashion, committed numerous Brady violations. In other words, it held on to evidence that could have been exculpatory and denied the defendants the ability to present that evidence in court. Seems like I've seen this before. Where, where have I heard this tune? Uh, yes, the Bundys. Well, I don't want to be too mean about this, but uh, somebody needs to turn this around, and it needs to be force-fed to the January 6th committee, and I agree, they should be occupying the jail cells of all those people who've been sitting there for the last two years awaiting trial. And that's just the start.
This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. All right, welcome back to the show. Got two articles I want to share with you in this final segment. Uh, The article of the day is courtesy of Brandon Smith. This is a fairly lengthy article. It's also kind of a controversial one. But I admit, the guy makes a pretty strong case. Um, This is the question that he asks. He asks, you know, at what point would we be justified in exiling members of the political left from our midst? In other words, kicking them out of the U.S. Right? Uh, what are you talking about? Getting rid of people, to kicking them out? Why? Why would you do that? And and Brandon Smith, you know, says, okay, well, what's the best? What's the best option? He says we need to decolonize. And that means uh, maybe booting radical leftists out of the U.S. is the best option. Now he starts with the question: At what point does radical activism cross the line and become a declaration of war? He says, that's a question I've been pondering for a long time, as well as the implications it has for the concept of, in air quotes, democracy. How much should civilization and heritage bend to the desires of contrary groups in the name of freedom? And for that matter, if a movement has consistently proven itself to be a destructive force that seeks to undermine the foundations of the West, should they be allowed to stay in the West? Is it authoritarian to kick them out? Does it matter? This is what he explores here. And I know it's uncomfortable because it's like, well, isn't this kind of othering people? But consider what, what Brandon Smith is saying here. And I'm, by the way, I'm not saying, therefore, we should do exactly this. He's exploring the question. I'm saying this is probably one that needs to be explored. If these activists hate Western culture so much, why would they want to stay in some place like the U.S.? Why not leave of their own accord to a nation or a society that's better fit for their philosophical demands? Okay, you know the answer. Come on, let's admit this. The only logical conclusion is because is that they, they stay because they want to sabotage or undermine or destroy the U.S. and instead force everyone else to submit to their political vision. In other words, they are ideological colonizers pretending to be victims of colonization. I think that's the best turnaround I've seen in a while, and it's true. It's true, they are. They're trying to colonize us. He talks about uh, the town of Antelope, Oregon, back in the early 1980s, chosen by the Rajneesh cult, led by a man who would later call himself Osho, as the future capital of his movement. After being run out of India by numerous investigations, the cult sought out a place where they could infiltrate and establish without much opposition. I remember this, man, the Bagua Shah Rajneesh, you know, in in Oregon. And he would visit the town in limited numbers. He'd buy a land, and then thousands of people suddenly arrived in waves in Antelope, Oregon. Now, the surrounding areas were primarily conservative, and that was the real genius behind the Rajneesh relocation. Because in conservative areas of America, there's still continuing respect for individual liberty, and this is something we should always hold dear. That said... Brandon Smith says our habit of accepting people's intentions at face value and assuming that discrimination is the same as authoritarianism sometimes gets us into trouble. Democracy without skepticism and discernment, it's a recipe for disaster. And frankly, not all freedom is good because there's such a thing as responsibility, which is a concept that remains alien to most progressives. 
And at first, the people of Antelope welcomed Rajneesh with open arms under the notion that they would stick to their compound and basically let the townspeople be. But that's not the case with collectivists. Any minor resistance to their designs creates a raging vendetta, and the cult, which was not getting everything it wanted from the town, used their large numbers to take over the local government and push out the original residents. Starting to see the uh, parallel here? So the group was engaged in numerous criminal activities, including fraud, bioterrorism, even sexual exploitation of members and minors. And when they came under investigation by state officials... They then planned a number of actions, including attempts to steal elections, political assassinations, poisoning local restaurants to keep voter numbers down. How did Oregonians respond? Well, they blocked Rajneesh members from voting based on a loophole. And eventually Ohio's, I'm I'm sorry, eventually, eventually authorities ran Osho and his followers out of the country. The town of Antelope and the surrounding areas celebrated joyously, says Brandon Smith. The cancer that had infected their community was gone. A great and oppressive weight had been lifted. Now he says, I use this as a comparison to the political left for good reason. Because their behaviors and their methods are almost identical. Both are cults of moral relativism, placing subjectivity over facts and hedonism over self-control. They also have both used the Western ideals of democracy and freedom as a weapon against the very people that hold those ideals dear. One of Osho's primary arguments was that if American officials were to come after him, they would be violating their own values and thus undermining their own system. But Brandon Smith says maybe the system of liberty is not made for people who want to tear it down. In other words, maybe they don't deserve its benefits. Leftists think they have the edge because you have rules. Well, they do not. They see their utopian vision as absolute, and anyone that stops them from getting what they want is a tyrant that has to be eliminated by any means necessary. Now, usually that involves overwhelming, less organized targets with a mob, tearing the community or country down piece by piece until there's nothing left. Once deconstruction is complete, then they just build whatever society they want on the ashes. So the only realistic solution in running the Rajneesh cult uh, out of town was to do exactly that. Run them out of the country on a rail. That's how you deal with them. If they refused, the only solution would have been to imprison them forever or go to war. That's how the world really works. Sometimes there is no diplomatic or constitutional solution. Sometimes two sides cannot be reconciled. They have to be separated or they have to fight until one or the other is gone. They're mutually exclusive concepts. So once people understand that the woke care about winning over what is true and what is right, Brandon says it becomes a lot easier to embrace what we need to do about them and their allies. I get it. It makes me uncomfortable too, but I'm also picking up on some pretty strong truth here. We are at war, says Brandon Smith. Woke acolytes and and their elitist masters, they're not pursuing activism. They are pursuing war. And it's a fourth-generation war, using tactics of treachery, subterfuge, and psychological manipulation, but he says it is a war all the same. And since they are at war with us, this begs the question, is it not acceptable to return fire? Now, maybe you don't like the the use of that warlike language, but i got to ask you, when, when people are active, you know, actively, 
bringing things into the school classroom that, that is intended to corrupt and pervert your child's mind, to separate them and you, to drive a wedge between them and you, and to groom them into young activists. I'd say that's kind of an act of war. In fact, I would say that is definitely an act of war. To try to destroy young minds and co-opt them and corrupt them. Spooky stuff. So these people, says Brandon Smith, are going to have to be removed from Western culture, maybe by force, if necessary. It's not an outlandish prospect. Many nations, including Western nations, have provisions for removing destructive people and organizations from their borders, even when they're natural-born citizens. So in the U.S., it would be considered a violation of the 14th Amendment and the rules of citizenship, but of course the 14th Amendment only applies to how the federal government conducts itself, not the general populace. And Brandon says, when someone engages in war with a large percentage of the American public in an effort to annihilate their way of life, they don't deserve to be treated with kid gloves. He says, we all know where this conflict is headed. The balkanization of the U.S. is assured in the near future, and this might ease tensions. But he asks, can red states and blue states live peacefully next to each other for very long? By the way, that's a good question. The political left and the globalists are not going to give up on their fantasy of a fully centralized and socialist America where all memory of true liberty is wiped away. So the point here, just in case, you know, you haven't heard enough, you know, strong, bold truth here is that in some cases, discrimination is good. There can be no coexistence with such people, at least not in the organized form they've taken today. And there are still hundreds of millions of Americans that value the core beliefs of the West, meaning meritocracy, free markets, private property, self-sufficiency, independence, reason, critical thinking, childhood innocence, and for many, religious devotion and discipline. The left values none of these things. And Brandon Smith says if we do not defend our ground vigorously and soon, he warns we will lose everything in the span of a single generation. Okay, that's, that's kind of sobering. So I'll have a link to this article. I hope you'll take a look at it. Another great article you'll find in today's show notes, one from J.B. Shirk, about uh, why have governments replaced God with global warming? Thanks again for tuning in. Please subscribe. You can find the subscribe button in my show notes at thebrianhydeshow.com. This is The Brian Hyde Show.